On November 13th, a Saturday in 1954, an 18-year-old girl stepped out on the sidewalk in front of an apartment building on 64th Street. She had olive skin and deep-set eyes and long, wavy, very dark hair. She looked for all the world like a gypsy from Eastern Europe, but she had lived in Birmingham, Alabama all of her life, so the only exotic trip she'd ever made was to Chattanooga, Tennessee. The girl uh, took hold of a navy blue uh, baby stroller and pushed it pushed it north towards 3rd. She took a left on 3rd and stayed on 3rd Avenue as she passed 63rd, 62nd, 61st. And at 60th Street, she took a right-hand turn so that she could uh, cross a busy 1st Avenue at a, at a traffic light. When the light changed, she traversed the four lanes, and she came face to face with the unmistakable, magnificent edifice of Woodlawn High School, the high school from which she would have graduated if only that Marine had not come back from the Korean War and wooed her and married her. She didn't think about that much these days. And she took a right-hand turn and went two blocks uh, to uh, the east and parked the stroller at the base of some familiar red brick steps. She reached into the stroller and she took out the baby and held him close to her chest. She opened one of the two massive bright red doors and she walked up the aisle of Grace Episcopal Church. Waiting for her uh, in the chancel was Father Holyfield, who had served Grace Church, well, as long as anybody could remember, and her older sister Florence, who would be my godmother. It was only, only that uh, the priest and my mother and my godmother, well, and me. My father uh, was nowhere to be seen on that particular day. Father Holyfield was not given to much, uh, much idle chatter, and so he took up the prayer book, uh, the 1928, and he started right in with no questions. And he read, after the opening sentences, from the third chapter of John. Jesus said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, and except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot even enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. 
The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and where, whither it goeth. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. And then he insisted that my Aunt Florence and my mother renounce Satan three times. And then he offered this prayer over me. O merciful God, grant that like as Christ died and rose again, that this child may die to sin and rise to newness of life. Grant that all sinful affections may die in him, and all things belonging to the Spirit may live and grow in him. Grant that he may have power and strength to have victory and to triumph against the devil the world, and the flesh. And then he turned to my mother and he said, name this child. And she chimed in, William Patrick. And at that, Father Holyfield drenched me three times with, with water. My Aunt Florence told me many years later, that my mother literally danced down the steps with me back to the stroller. She knew that she had conferred on me my birthright. She knew that she had taken me to the one who could make me who I am and not a false William Patrick, an imposter. She also knew, even as an 18-year-old, that... Oh, the devil would aggravate me from time to time, but he could never have me. And she knew with the spirit conferred by God that um, it was armor enough to stand up to the schemes of the evil one. She had given me my birthright and that was enough. I was exactly her age. When I came to this city, which is somewhat of a miracle in itself, and it was here that I submitted to the love that had already been given to me in Christ, and I claimed the birthright for myself, putting the devil in my rearview mirror. My mother knew what St. Paul had told her. And that is, when one is born again, new life begins that cannot, that cannot be adulterated by the devil. Knowing that, it's interesting that we continue to misread the scripture in the seventh chapter of Roman, where Paul says, I do not understand my actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. I mean, just sensibly spoken, if our deliverance in Christ is one in which we're continually on a merry-go-round with the devil, such that we are not put out of his reach, then what type of deliverance is that? If if the devil and Christ have the same power, 
and I'm just in some time of weird mock boxing match between the two of them, well, that's not salvation. That's something different altogether. But that's not how it works, and St. Paul knew that's not how it works. He's not talking about himself in the scripture. He's talking about someone who has not yet been born again. He's talking about a straw man. How do I know that? Well, because I read the Bible. And in the, in the sixth chapter that leads up to the scripture, Paul says this, and this is key, because Romans is probably the most important document in the entire New Testament. In chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Two verses later, Paul says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul thought what he was saying was so important, he just said the same thing in different words, two verses apart. When we, when we submit to Christ, when we are baptized, we actually die with Christ. We're entombed with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. And the old life is put to death so that we can be raised to newness of life. Now that's deliverance. That's real. That's how it works. I don't imagine for a moment that all of us don't have from time to time uh, some minor, you know, arm wrestling matches with Satan. I certainly do. But he cannot win. He cannot have us because we have a different birthright. We have been reborn to the Master. And just as he was raised from the dead, we are raised to an entirely different mode of existence. That's why being a Christian is the most important thing that can happen to a person. And then in chapter 7, just before he launches into uh, talking about, you know, I don't do what I want to do and so forth, Paul writes this, But now we're discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Let me read that again, because this, this is where Jim Berg was, where he got his idea for his, uh, for his opening. But now we are discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. Paul is uh, constantly trying to get people to move away from their dependency on the law to make them better. Paul thinks the law is good. He thinks it's holy, and he's right, because it is. It was given by God. And the law can point to what is right, and it does. The law can point us to what is right, but it cannot help us do it. That's the problem, and that's why it is so incredibly seductive. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, you know, Pat, that's pretty archaic, all this law talk. No, it's not. Let me make this point. You may have all the conservative virtues in the book. I mean, you may be, be, the, you may be the poster child of rock-solid American, you know, uh, good manners and with a whole range of, of, of strengths. But I'm going to tell you right now, 
Without the Spirit, you'll never live into them. On the other hand, you may be the most woke person on your block. You may be so in tune with, with your racial sensitivity and, and your problem with your whiteness or your, or your pleasure with, your, uh, with whatever-ness you have. But if you do not have the Spirit, you cannot truly live the liberated life. It is an impossibility. All we do is grind our teeth and try, and it is futile, and that's where people are on a merry-go-round. Christ gives us a different birthright. It doesn't matter what party you're in. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what gender you are. The Spirit gives us rebirth, and there's nothing there's nothing that even comes close to it. You know, I speak of birthright, and I, before I close tonight, I want to read you a rather pitiful story. There are two disappointing characters in the, old, in the Genesis, in my opinion. One, one is Lot, Abraham's nephew. He starts off with great promise, but he really, he really ends up, you know, in in a pitiful place. And the other would be Esau, who is, well, the firstborn son of Isaac, the one that has everything coming to him. He has the birthright. But listen to what he does. This is in the 25th chapter of Genesis. Once when Jacob was boiling red stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm famished. Therefore, Esau's name was Edom, which just means red. Jacob said, well, first sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So Esau swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and red stew of lentils. And Esau ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That's written to you and me as well as the people of Israel. We've been given the greatest birthright imaginable. We have been made daughters and sons of the living Lord. We are regenerate. We, we, we can live in a totally different existence. Our strategy is not to figure out new combat moves against the devil. That won't do anything for us. No, no. Our strategy is to submit to him and claim what has been given to us. You see, every one of us, every single one of us is that child cradled in our mother's arms and taken to the altar of God and because of that, we can live the life that we dream about.